Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvesland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two rules, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291 6901. That's right. And you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right. Got all our lines wide open, and we're bright eyed and bushy tailed, right. ready to go. That's right. Right now is the perfect time to call. Oh, that's right. Got a whole week of rest and. Uh... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know where you've been, but I've been working. <laughs> that is true. But well, we got a clear mind and ready to go. Boy, beautiful morning out. Oh, I'm telling you, it's a beautiful morning out. Not a few clouds in the sky, just enough to keep it interesting. And, That's uh, right. Keep something being too glaring. There you go. But uh, yeah, South Louisiana this time of year is absolutely gorgeous. Oh, I love it. Probably in the 50s and real low humidity. Temperature's really, really good. Yep. Sort of an idyllic situation, folks, that are up in the north right now. <laughs> <laughs> Suffering through. I was talking to a lady, I, I think she was... Might have been from Buffalo, New York. I, uh-huh. I may be wrong on that, but somewhere in that region. Okay. And she was saying the wind chill was 27 below wow. last week. So, <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad it was only like 35 here. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. Boy, it was a bone chilling 35 here. I'm so. telling you. <laughs> but yeah, that's really, really big, big country. And of course, sure. that temperature really varies from one end to the other. But I think the majority of it was pretty cold all week. But like I said, pretty nice here. So, Oh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah it rained a few days last week, yep. but eh, it's... That happens. I mean, is this South Louisiana, you know? There you go. That's right. Just a great, great, great time of year. Folks who get a chance to visit South Louisiana, of course, this is the time to come. Sure. Ironically, I guess Mardi Gras falls this time of year. Right. Coming up, you know, Mardi Gras season starts on January 6th, the day of the Epiphany. Mm -hmm. And then it runs. The actual date is based on the formula with the position of the moon. I used to know exactly what it was. Right. And it's based pretty much on Passover which is the Jewish holiday, and it's Passover is generally going to be on a Friday. It will be the uh, Easter is the Sunday the, following Passover. Correct. And then if you come 40 days forward, that's Mardi Gras. Tuesday, and that will be Mardi Gras. So right. it can run anywhere from early so February, February to or late March. March, right, right. This year is February 17th. Yeah, so it is. A little it's early. Very early this year. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's your little history in Mardi Gras. <laughs> <laughs> and let's see. We're going to the phone lines. We have got Howard online. Good morning, Howard. Good morning. Yes, sir. Uh, Good morning. Question about an oil filter removal on the cartridge uh, portion of the oil filter mm-hmm. that's on a Toyota Camry yes right uh-huh okay the last oil filter change was done by the dealer yes okay mm-hmm. and they tend to want to sometimes put yellow paint on things that it, or orange paint on things that they I guess torque or whatever okay. they do yes sir mm-hmm. now this Shell, the plastic part mm-hmm. that goes over the cartridge. Yes, sir. right. Is there a clip or something that's a metal clip on the side that would prevent you from taking, removing that shell? Some of them have a clip on. Some of them don't. It just depends on the model of the engine that's in the vehicle. I've seen them both ways. Really? Some the clip is there, but it doesn't actually stop anything. I mean, maybe it's a, a forethought or something that didn't make make up, but. I've seen one or two that actually attach to the the side of the case, and the little arm catches the well this, the cartridge this one, cap to stop it from returning. Interrupt you, but this one looks like that filter goes right up to the aluminum housing. Yes, sir. And there's a little hole that's drilled in the aluminum, and it looks like there's a little clip that's been pushed in there and of course it has the yellow paint on it and it catches one of the little ears uh-huh. on the cartridge shell. Uh-huh. I know you're supposed to talk those things but 
I tried to, <laughs> and I, I just bogged down with it. I had the, you know, the car up on a jack stand, and well, right that, now it has 4,000 miles on, and it's two years old. Okay. And I change oil in it, whether it needs it or not, about every six months. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, good idea. So what I did, I just, since I couldn't fool with it, I had a Toyota removal tool, but mm-hmm. you know, that didn't work. So I just left the filter alone, and then I drained the oil and put fresh oil yes, in it. Sir. But mm-hmm. I was wondering, just looking for help. I've not run across that, Howard. Uh, everyone we've done, like I said, some of them have a little clip, but you can just push it out the way. And it really doesn't hold very well anyway, but we huh. just put the tool on it. I was wondering if you could take that clip and just throw it away. Probably I mean, so. I mean, as long as the housing is torqued on, I would think if it has it it was probably like brian said just an afterthought it said this could possibly unscrew or back off so we're going to put some kind of a little retainer here to prevent that which is probably a good idea but there's got to be some means to retract it or get it out of the way i mean all's been changed one time so it yeah. could possibly be that there was more to it than what's there now and maybe it got broken when they did the first all change maybe a well, piece this, missing or something yeah it wasn't there i don't think initially when the okay. car was new you know yes sir. now is that a, a readily available tool for that shell yes sir we Just, buy them from toyota they're pretty reasonably priced i mean there's a lot of aftermarket companies that make them also you can mm-hmm. go on the internet and buy one but i think you can buy it from a toyota dealer if i'm not right. mistaken it's around twenty dollars for the tool not as terribly expensive tool do you recall the I think somewhere I had a mental note of about 17 foot-pounds of torque on those items. I believe it's 18. Yeah, and I think... I'd have to look it up in service data, but I believe it's 18 foot-pounds on the, the cap, the the big part of the cap. Now, on the big on the bottom of that cap is another... Little, the, the little... Uh, the little one torque... Nut. Call right. it that. The not, that one talks at a different rate, and I'm not sure what it is because and I, I don't use that's those. In the instructions that comes with it the, does with the uh, cartridge with a Toyota cartridge filter. Yeah, I the instructions and the O rings and a little drain tool all and come all with the, the filter. Specs will be in there. Now that little drain tool is it? That's to drain the filter. Correct. Right. That's correct. You what just you do push is push it up in there, and it, right. You take the little cap off the bottom, and you, uh-huh. when you push it up in there, it opens up a valve and it drains the oil out. I've accustomed not to use them anymore. Right. Because a lot of the so-called oil change places, they take a crunch and they put it in there and they torque the whole thing down, uh-huh. which is incorrect. You should not ever do that because there's well, two different no, torques it, there. It, uh, so I've, I just start taking the cap off. I've got a big drain. I take the cap off and drop it, and I'm done. We've got it up on a man lift, right? Which is six feet in the air, and you got a big old pan. So it doesn't make a mess anyway for us. But if you lay it on the ground under it, it it's a real great it's idea. A nice idea. And if you're the only one who ever did it, it was always done properly, it works fine. Right. But like I say, you'll get a quick change. You'll put a torque wrench no, no, on that well, nut and, and over torque it. They'll you try to the take whole it out, thing. it breaks. So right. we've gotten I've been doing breaking. that oh so long mm-hmm. until probably before you were born. But yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know so. if they had cars before I was born. <laughs> <Pardon>? <laughs> See, I don't know if they had cars before I was born, man. I'm pretty old. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, well, 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 well no, I, I'm 81, so there you go. <laughs> that's, that's kind of old. Well, listen, thank you so very right, much, and you have a good day. Yes, sir. Yes, Thanks sir. You too. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick little break because we're going to be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. 
my way, take the And that's why you never put a dead or live octopus in the microwave. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my old truck needs some repairs. Or should I buy a new one to save money? Well, let me get out my calculator here. Let's say a new truck costs about $35,000 plus $3,500 or so in taxes, then higher insurance. And you know, in about three years, the value is going to drop to about $15,000. That's $8,000 a year just to drive it. Wow, I never thought of it like that. I suggest taking it to Agco Automotive for a general inspection to see if your old truck is worth keeping, which I think it is. And if so, keep bringing it to Agco for regular maintenance, and you'll be able to drive it for a whole lot longer. And I can spend money on other things like my beautiful wife. I'm assuming she's right there in the room with you, huh? Alphonse, you do know it all, don't you? Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, blah, blah, blah. Between two of us, we go ahead and try to help you out and point you in the right direction, give you some advice on your car, if you got a problem with stopping or starting or squeaking or squealing or whatever it might be. That's right. And right now is, like I said earlier, the perfect time to get your questions answered That's because right. right now you can get a live personal answer from either one of us. That's right. Should you happen to think of something after we go off the air or even next week at midnight, if you happen to be up thinking about car repair. There you go. <laughs> Word about car repair. There you go. You can always go to our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the little form, and send it in. It couldn't be any easier. That's right. And I'll get an answer back to you within 24 hours. Most time, a lot sooner than that, just depending on where I happen to be at the time. Right. But what you don't want to do is either stop by the shop or give me a call at the shop because i'm a nice guy but i have got pretty much 100 percent of my time at the shop dedicated to the clients that are there who are paying my salary sure and we got we got five technicians pumping work to you all day long you that's know, right one person's trying to take care of five technicians working in the shop so right. and it p- takes a lot of time particularly on a monday or tuesday because we pretty much finish up most of the work in the shop by friday uh-huh. monday or tuesday we're writing all new jobs and y'all are checking cars so about every 45 minutes to an hour i'm getting another sheet times five I mean, I, it takes me about almost 15 minutes to write one, look up the parts and all that. So sure. do the math, I'm going to start backing up real fast. By noon, I've usually got about 10 or 15 estimates behind me that I'm still trying to catch up. Sure. And if you drop in and want to chat, I'm just not going to be able to stop and do it. It's not that I'm being rude or trying to avoid you. I just physically can't do it. I have to take care of the people who are there because they're waiting on their cars. They've made an appointment, and like I said, they're paying my salary. Right. That's why we do this show on Saturday, every Saturday morning. That's right. And you can get your questions answered live. Ask any question, automotive questions you, got you have on your mind. That's right. Right now is a, a great per- time to do it. Perfect time to call in. And if not, just send me an email. Like I said, as quick as I can, I will get to that, and I'll get an answer back to you. So just sort of kind of wanted to clarify that. I guess I had a gentleman who had came in earlier this week, and I had, I guess, six estimates sitting there I was trying to get written. And I said, sir, I am sorry. I'm just not going to be able to. Talk, uh-huh. talk with you right now and he looked like he's a little bit disappointed he walked out right and like i said i, I don't mean to certainly wasn't rude to him but I, I don't mean to disappoint people but i just can't feel that i've just got to get the people in the shop's cars done because, correct you know that's who's paying me my salary exactly <laughs> so it's got all the time's got to go right there john from ontario who's regular listener right a right on the show actually emailed earlier this week and remember last week we had a couple of calls about the airbag recalls 
Okay. And John brought up a point that we hadn't really, I hadn't anticipated or hadn't thought about or thought through enough when we were talking about the airbag recalls and stuff. Most of the ones that I was talking about was like the clock springs that are bad, that don't function. And of mm-hmm. course, we said if you wear your seatbelt, you're pretty much going to be safe mm-hmm. because if the airbag does not deploy and you got a seatbelt on, they call that a supplemental inflatable restraint. Right. Reason being, it's a supplement to the seatbelt. Seat it is not a replacement for the three point seatbelt system. I know in race cars, I used to race cars, we had a five point belt. Correct. It's actually even better, but the three point belt does a wonderful job as long as you use it. Correct. From that perspective, yes, it's not a big deal. Now, he mentioned that there are a bunch of airbags out right now that are having the problem with the metal being dispatched or deployed from them that can injure or they say possibly even fatally injure a person. Okay. And what seems to be the problem is that the material they used for the airbag was insufficient to the task, particularly in the hot and humid climates. Of course, South Louisiana definitely qualifies there. Exactly. And they said down in maybe Guam or Puerto Rico or some of those places where we have cars, if this material starts to deteriorate, what happens is that when the bag deploys, I mean, that thing is an explosion. It's sort of like a shotgun shell going off. And this force of this explosion is what actually puffs that bag out. And you hit the bag, and, of course, it deflates as you go down, which absorbs the impact of you striking the bag, and that's all well and good. The way it's designed is that when this thing deploys, a certain amount of debris is produced. Okay. And there's a screen that catches most of that. What gets through the screen is sort of harmlessly captured inside the bag, and since there's about a 12-inch cushion, it's really not a problem. Now, the issue is if the bag is deteriorated and it splits, then when it goes off and that shell, yeah, it's the debris from the explosion could be fired straight into your face. Gotcha. Which is not a good situation. And I would say the odds of that occurring are probably pretty low. You know, number one, you'd have to have an airbag deployment. Number two, the bag would have to be deteriorated to the point where it would actually split. Number three, it'd have to be a lot of debris getting through the screen. So I would say the odds are low, but possible. So right. out of an abundance of caution, you have to take odds with this and if your car is one of those which you may want to do until they can get you a replacement airbag is just to disable the airbag okay and that's fairly simple if you don't have the wherewithal do it yourself you can take it to the dealership who issued the recall and they can do that for you or you can look in the fuse box and there's going to be some fuses mark sir or something to that srs well it could be srs or sir supplemental inflatable restraint s srs is supplemental supplemental restraint system yeah something like that srs yeah depending on how it is you can look at your owner's manual it'll tell you that right you can remove those fuses and when you do the airbag light will come on which tells you the system is disarmed Mm -hmm. now once it's disarmed of course you don't have the benefit of an airbag so you do have to wear your seatbelt correctly be yeah correctly and be a little more uh, cautious you don't put the main belt behind you because you don't want rubbing on you on your shirt, shirt your or collar, whatever. yeah <laughs> catching your glasses that are hanging on your neck or yeah any, and it happens yeah absolutely and i guess it just goes to show there is no perfect system these are pretty well engineered systems but somebody didn't anticipate something mm-hmm. when these were produced and i think it's primarily one company that produced them with a substandard material and as it gets older it just deteriorates okay and like I said, we don't know the full thing. So if you have one of those recall notices, or if you don't and you're unsure, you can go to the website of the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Okay. And you can type in the VIN number of your car, and that will tell you. 
Okay, great. Alter- That's a great resource. Yeah, alternatively, I think you could probably call the dealership where you bought the car and give them the VIN number, and they can tell you if your car is affected. Not necessarily where you bought it, but the make and model. Any That's dealership right. should be able to tell you. Yeah, well, if you bought the car used, you wouldn't know. But let's say you got a Honda. You can so call, you call Honda. Call a Honda dealer. Right. Give them the VIN number, and they should have the wherewithal to do it. If the dealership can't do it, you can call Honda of North America, and there's an 800 number in the back of your owner's manual. Okay. They could certainly do it for you. So, and I'm not saying only Honda because that recall actually bridges several different car models. Honda, right. I think, was one of the first they noticed it on, but it's actually several. Well, one manufacturer made them for several different. Right. Some of the Chevrolets are involved in that, some of the Toyotas, some of the Hondas. I don't know if Ford, Chrysler. But there are just a lot of uh, different cars that are possibly. And I got to say, I don't want to unnecessarily alarm people, but out of an abundance of caution, you don't know if your car is one of these or not. And you don't want this thing deploying and firing shrapnel into your face. Exactly. I mean, we're not talking hand-sized pieces of metal, but we're talking little tiny pieces little of metal. shards and Little shards right. of metal right. that could hurt you or put an eye out or something. Yeah. Right. They say potentially kill someone, and I guess it probably could. Possibly. So no matter what, if you have one of those cars and you have a recall notice, get the recall done. And Definitely. If they don't have the parts available, have them disarm it until you can. So anyway, I'm thank John for sending that uh, to me because like I said when I heard, thing I guess I don't read the paper particularly like for the last two weeks of the year uh-huh. we were out of the country right and so I didn't read any of the paper I didn't hear all the headlines and all, and so I wasn't really aware of that I guess I was aware of it, it just didn't occur to me I, I know the ones there are several recalls out where bags may not deploy when they should, and I think that's a much smaller problem again if you use your seatbelt, and it's one of those things I don't care how many safety features you have you just can't say oh, well i've got this so i'm just going to be careless yeah <laughs> you still have to use your seatbelt. you still have to drive carefully you still have to watch out for the other guy sure this is a last case when something occurs everything else goes wrong this is just something else there that could maybe possibly help you mm-hmm. but you don't stake your life on it. oh most definitely not <laughs> yeah like anything else like the safety on a gun you know i've got a safety on a gun and i count on that but i'm not gonna put the pistol to my head and pull the trigger and see <laughs> and if see it works, works. Yeah. <laughs> exactly not one of those type of things i want to do so anyway i like I, said, I want to thank john he john is up in ontario and he right. listens every week actually he's called in several times mm-hmm. and he's always got a lot of good information he keeps his ear close to the automotive news i guess he's kind of a gearhead like uh, some of the others he likes that kind of stuff. Yeah, he's driving a Honda Accord, isn't it? I think he's got a Honda Accord, and I'm not sure what other kinds of cars he's got. And he's actually gotten several other people up in the area of Canada listening to us. So. Oh, that's great. That's right. Good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the more people listening, the better. That's right. I had a gentleman come in this week, and he was asking how he might know if his car needed a wheel alignment. Okay. And someone said, well, you should get it aligned every year. And I disagree with that. I don't think it's necessary to align a car every year. No. Many cars, if you align it one time properly, you may never have to touch it again for the life of the car. That is very true. I know I've I put a set of tires on my Silverado when I got it. Right. I set the alignment on it, mm-hmm. and that set of tires went 65,000 miles, I believe. Right. And they wore off even. Mm-hmm. So when I put a new set on, I just, out of curiosity... I stayed one Friday afternoon right. after we left, and I checked the alignment on. Right. Alignment was still good. That's right. Didn't even have to touch it up. Well, you hear this stuff, oh, man, the pothole's going to knock it out of line, and da-da-da-da. And theoretically, a big enough pothole could right. be in something and cause it to go out of alignment. But that is way, way, way overstated, particularly on modern cars. Back in the 80s, the cars, the unibody cars were just starting to come out, and they were mm-hmm. using some mild steel, probably in some areas that should have been using some high-strength steel. 
and so on. And those little cars were fairly fragile. They used to bend struts a lot, and they used right. to bend aprons a lot, and so on. But you know, modern cars, they've actually gone to high-strength steel, even Martin Siddick steel in some cases, and that stuff is really, really, really tough. Oh, it is. And most of them do not have adjustments per se. In other words, the alignment is pretty much fixed. The holes in the strut are the same size as the, the bolt that goes through it. So there's nothing there to really slip. Mm-hmm. The, the camber and the caster are fixed from the factory, and they are going to remain fixed unless something physically bends or wears out. Correct. And you not hit a normal pothole in the road and knock that car out of alignment. Same thing with the toe adjustment. I mean, it's threaded, it's got a sleeve, and it's got a cross bolt through it. And it's all tightened out. Unless somebody left the bolt loose or something wears out or you hit something hard and enough to bend, bend something right. or something physically wears out, what does cause a car to go out of alignment is that the springs will actually start to fatigue over time. When a spring is put in a car new, it's going to probably lose about 90% of its set. It's going to settle about 90% probably in the first five to 10,000 miles. Right. Over the next 25 years, it'll settle the remaining 10%. But that's just not going to change a whole lot. And the same thing with the adjustments. They're not going to slip. And the bushings and stuff they use now are generally a urethane-type material, so they're much it's tougher. It's a lot, a lot better material than it used to be. It used to use neoprene or rubber or whatever. Right, and it would eventually wear, and as the rubber wore the components would get closer together, but just because of the weight of the car pushing in on them. That's right. Which would change the alignment. Right. So alignments don't change a whole lot today. But now, to get back to the original question, how do you know when you need an alignment? Okay. Now, if you're used to your car, you drive the car a lot, you know how it feels. If you let go of the steering wheel temporarily on a straight, level road, the car should track straight down the road. It shouldn't veer suddenly off to the right or suddenly off to the left. And... Clearly, all roads lean one way or the other. Not they, necessarily the same way. Right, not necessarily the same way. Most roads lean to the right because that's where the ditch is. Right, that's where your drainage. And if the road were perfectly flat, when it rained, the rain would puddle up on the road and be unsafe. Uh-huh. So they lean the road towards the drainage, which is normally on the right. Now, Correct. a car being a heavy device, it's going to roll downhill eventually. So eventually, most cars are going to veer slightly to the right if you let them go long enough. Uh-huh. On some roads, when they built the road, either they didn't have a place to put the drainage on the right, or maybe they wanted to share drainage, like on the interstate in some areas, they wanted a shared drain, so they put it in the center. Right. The road may slope to the left that way. So your car is going to veer slightly to the left. Now, this should be almost imperceptible to you. If you're driving the car with your hand on the wheel, you shouldn't notice it at all. Exactly. If you let go of the wheel, the car should track straight for a ways and then eventually go slightly one way or the other. So a very gradual drift one way or the other is not generally a problem, particularly if it changes on different road surfaces. Now, if the car always goes to the right, every single road, no matter let, where, let go of the wheel and it goes to the right, that's one symptom of possibly needing alignment. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean it needs alignment. That's a symptom of alignment. Correct. And if your car never did that before and starts to do that, then that is a indication that you need to get it in and have something checked. Another thing is the steering wheel should be straight and level. The two little spokes in the steering wheel should be straight and level. One should be pointing at 9 o'clock, one should be pointing at 3 o'clock when you're going straight down the road. Now, if you're in a turn, it's going to pull one way or the other. Or if the car is pulling slightly, you're going to hold the wheel against it. But if the wheel has always been perfectly centered and all of a sudden it's slightly off-center, now something's changed. Correct. Particularly if you've had work done on the car, even seemingly unrelated work. Let's say you had your transmission rebuilt in your car. Okay. 
and you get the car back, and now the steering wheel is not centered. Okay. It's slightly off one way. Oh, maybe it's sitting at 10 o'clock or sitting at uh, 4 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Well, when they pull the transmission out of the car, they have to remove the subframe to get it out. And the suspension is bolted to the subframe. And so is the rack and pinion on most vehicles. That is correct. So when they put it back in, they could have disturbed the alignment. So even something unseemingly related could be related if they change a suspension component. Even in some cases, if they change an engine mount on your car. Right. And now the steering wheel is off-center. Well, when you see that wheel off-center, don't wait until it wears a set of tires out. Right. Something has changed. That's your first indication that something has changed and it needs to be addressed. That's right. And it doesn't necessarily mean you need an alignment, but it is a warning sign to go get it checked. Correct. Here we're going to take one more quick little break and be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. And that's why cayenne pepper should never be stored in the bathroom. Yeah! Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Call her what you want to know. Alphonse, my car needs a new transmission, but I think there might be some other problems looming in the near future. I might as well get a new car, right? Well, here's what I'll recommend. Take it to the pros at Agco Automotive for a general inspection. They know their stuff and they're mighty honest. They'll be able to see if there's any problems likely in the future and tell you your best option. And if you keep your car, bring it into Agco for regular maintenance and you'll be driving it for a long time. Thank you, Alphonse. You do know it all. Say, are you as good-looking as you are smart? Well, let's just say, I know you wouldn't be disappointed. Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the the next segment of the Automotive Hour. Hey, we... Sure, wish we'd got, give us calls, 291-6901. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. There you go. Advice. In the meantime, we're talking about wheel alignments and when you need a wheel alignment. And right. Kind of stuff. One other thing that a lot of times something seemingly unrelated can cause an alignment issue. Uh-huh. I remember we had a fellow who came in, and he said his steering wheel was off-center, and it happened all of a sudden. I said, well, okay. was any work done on the car? He says, no. I said, you sure? Nothing was done on the car. She said, no, not that I can remember, nothing. So when we got under the car, what we found was the exhaust had recently been replaced. Okay. A fairly new exhaust pipe on it, tailpipe on it. And what they had done is that when they went to get the exhaust pipe off, the, the muffler ran over the rear control arms. They had to take the rear control arm down. To get the to, exhaust pipe right, off. They, they unbolted it from the knuckle and all that to drop the muffler out put it back in, bolted all that back up. Well, when they did, they changed the alignment in the rear. Right. Now, when the rear alignment changes, the car will start to track slightly one way or the other, and it's not going to just go sideways down the road. What you are going to do is automatically turn the steering wheel back in the opposite direction, which causes the car to track down the road, but now the steering wheel is off-center. Uh-huh. So the steering wheel being off-center is a symptom of the problem. It is not the problem. Correct. So... We went ahead and lined it, set the rear alignment. Now the steering wheel was back perfectly centered, mm-hmm. or track perfectly straight. And when he came in, I said, did you happen to have the? Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. And something as unrelated as that can cause an issue, but he was wise enough to see that something had changed. He knew the right. wheel wasn't centered any longer and it had been centered previously. Correct. So anytime you see something change like that, even something that you've had done, maybe that you wouldn't relate to that. And certainly any time a car is wrecked or damaged, even if it's hitting the side or whatever, if that steering wheel is now not centered and it was centered before, 
or it's pulling one way or the other than it was before the, the accident. Well, or, that's right. And, of course, the final thing is if you rotate your tires and the car starts to pull suddenly, that is generally going to be a tire issue. Correct. Because tires are very, very directional. And so if the car was driving straight, you had the tires rotated, and now it's starting to pull, what you need to do is bring it back and have them cross the two front tires temporarily. If the car pulls in the other direction, then you've got a tire problem. That's not in alignment. That is a warrantable issue also. That is something that is under warranty from whoever sold you the tire. And you tell people, I said, well, I didn't buy a road Well, it doesn't matter. That is a warranty on the tire for the life of the tread. Uh-huh. That comes from the manufacturer. So if you do have... And they call it ride disturbance. The proper name is conicity. Right. They may call it it tire pull. I've heard it called different things. things. Yeah. But if that occurs, you can get that tire back. And let's say they've got half the rubber remaining on the tire. Well, then you would have to pay for the half you use, but they would give you half the price of a new tire off Uh towards replacement. And it's not something that's going to get better. It's going to have to be dealt with sooner or later sure it's so it's going to get worse you want to get it done as soon as possible that way you get the best adjustment on the tire it costs you less to get it swapped exactly we gotta go back to our phone lines john good morning john hi it's john toronto calling. hey miss john how are you doing sir good and you You're doing great sir good uh just a quick night corresponded about guest ditch your uh rating and i i know you're a shy kind of guy and don't want to say anything but i bring it up okay <laughs> i just that i figured out that uh once you've actually only, well, you wouldn't help me, but basically, once you give a full rating, the only way to further rate is is when they when people watch or listen to your uh, on, listen to you on Stitcher. There's a little spot for a tick mark, and then you can write a little note on it. Okay, I, it looks like that's the only way that we can uh, support you. And I don't want you to decide you don't want to do it because nobody's supporting you. So that's all <laughs> <really want> to <laughs> say. Okay, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think what they do is they track your ip address and i think probably most rating services that way once you have given a full rating you're not going to be able to go back with the same ip address it's going to, the software is going to catch it and not allow you to and i guess that's to keep spam bots from going in there and and rank you know artificially ranking right. and rating different people one way or other. you have maybe an unscrupulous business who might get a spam bot to go in and put 40 ratings in for him you know to make himself look better so i guess in the world we live in that kind of stuff is necessary yeah, well, I, I just, that's all I want. I know you want, want your customers to call in and get the answers, but I thought I'd pop in for a second. Well, there you go. I appreciate it, man. All right. Talk to you again. All right, John. Thanks, man. Keep warm. I'm freezing up here. I I'll bet. bet. <laughs> What's the temperature up there? Oh, it's in Celsius. You wouldn't know. It. Yeah, that's right. I wouldn't know what that means anyway. <laughs> Minus 20 Celsius. Wow. wow. That's still cold. <laughs> it's cold. <laughs> I appreciate right, it, thanks, man. Guys. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. I do know that zero is freezing, so it's it's way down. It's pretty below. damn cold. Yeah, it, is, it is cold, way colder than I want to be in. So that's for a fact. Yeah, there you go. We were talking during the break, you and I, about topics we haven't discussed in quite a while. Uh-huh. One of those, it seems like such a simple, simple thing, except that it's not. Okay, and that's lighting on a car. All right, lighting. You would think, like you were saying, it would be a simple thing. You know, just go in, change the bulb. That's right, and we see so so many problems with that. We where do. Folks come in, and they have got a light, let's say a headlight that's out now. Okay. And they change the bulb, and it's still out. And so they bring it to us. And what we find first off is that the socket is burned up. It's melted. Right. Now, 
in some cases, like on GM products, they've got a problem with that. They use an inferior grade socket and they burn they them know all the time, it. like a Chevy yeah. pickups. We change those all the time. Yeah, just, the, the DRL sockets. Right. They, when you pull the bulbs out, the sockets all black and burn up and melted. And, right. It was just an inferior design and they come that way from the factory. But what happens a lot of times is that folks don't realize a lot of light bulbs will fit into the same socket. Sure. They generally have different numbers on them. Okay. And you had mentioned some of the numbers. Is right. Well, it's taillight bulbs. You got a, a 3057. Okay. Then you have a 3157. Right. Then you have a 4114. Okay. Will all fit in the same socket. Right. But the amperage or the watt, they call wattage. Uh-huh. Wattage and amperage relate to each other. But there are more watts on one than the other. Now, if you plug a higher wattage bulb into a lower wattage socket, because believe me, they don't make these one iota bigger than they absolutely have to be. Exactly. Those wires are minimized to the, the lowest size they can get by with. Same thing with the sockets and everything else. Let's say it came with a 15-watt bulb and you plug a 20 or 30-watt bulb in. You're probably going to fry the socket and maybe the wire. Exactly. You're drawing a lot more amperage across the circuit than it was designed to, to carry mm-hmm. at minimum. Right. And they're, they are minimally design correct another place where we see this a lot we had a gentleman whose wife wanted to get him something for christmas and uh-huh. he wanted and so she went and bought him a set of these super duper high intensity headlight bulbs for right. his car bought them on the internet somewhere well he plugs them in and is a ford pickup and of course he's got brighter lights now but the way these lights put out brighter light is that they pull more amperage correct and pretty much melted the, the wiring harness in the front of the car and it ended up costing him a fair amount of money to get all that repaired. And right. she did not know that she was right. doing him a disservice. And the problem is, if you go on the Internet, there are folks who will sell you anything you're willing to buy. That's it. And they don't have any understanding of what they're selling or what well, there's it no or stand, how it works. They don't stand behind it. So no. all they're doing is selling a product. That's right. Just sell you something you want to buy. And you got to be very careful because if you start plugging some of these things in, you can do a lot of damage that is going to cost you a lot of money. Well, not necessarily. You actually cause a fire. You could. Because if those wires melt in the right place and catch the right thing on fire, you could literally burn the car down before you could get it stopped. That's correct. And a short in a wire where two wires touch together is going to blow the fuse because it is a huge amperage draw all at once. But something that pulls slightly more current than it's supposed to really has a different effect what it does it starts to get hot and when it gets hot it's sort of like a heating element it doesn't blow the fuse when you plug your toaster it just gets hot mm-hmm. it can act like that if it's got enough resistance there it can actually just get hot melt down and never blow the fuse right so you could technically set the car on fire you could certainly do damage i've seen fuse panels that are melted the right. back side of the wire on the fuse panel and burnt slam out of the socket some of those are not inexpensive we replaced a fuse panel in a vehicle the other day that was $900. Right. And what happened, the gentleman had a cigarette lighter that he liked to plug accessories into. Okay. And if you plug a cell phone into that accessory, it's probably not going to hurt a whole lot because those don't pull very much current. Right. But you start plugging bigger and bigger things. Or more know, and more things. More and more things or jump a couple things, a little Y. Right, yeah. yeah, right. I've seen them. They got one plug for the cigarette lighter in, right. and then on the end of that, there's six wires hanging out. Right. It's just not designed to carry that kind of amperage load. It's not, and it won't always blow a fuse. Sometimes it will, but sometimes it'll just melt the wires. For sure. This one melted the wire off behind the fuse panel. Okay. And the first place he knew, of course, the cigarette lighter quit working. No big deal. I'll just get by without that. He went to get a state inspection 
and he couldn't get an inspection because right. he couldn't communicate with his car because the same wire or same circuit actually Fed feeds the, the OBD2 connector. Correct. So the state computer couldn't communicate with the car because there was no power on the connector. And so he failed inspection. Right. And that's as far as they go. If they don't get any power, they, they well, don't go any further. That's, that's right. That's it. You get a rejection sticker. Well, they don't have the wherewithal to go in and diagnose the problem. And Yeah. I mean, they're an inspection station. They're not a repair shop. So he brings it to us. And sometimes we can go in and jump across that terminal, put a new terminal, put a new fuse. Mm-hmm. Or, or there's ways to fix it. But the way this one had melted, there was no way to repair it. It had sure. to be replaced. And like I said, it was a $900 part. And about an hour and a half worth of labor and diagnosis on it so he went out of there somewhere south of a thousand dollar bill wow and of course he took all those little (laughs) (laughs) ain't gonna do that anymore well you know you can look at it two ways you learned a lesson that's right or you didn't that's right what are thousand dollar lessons you know exactly i was talking to a guy earlier this week i said you know education is expensive but ignorance is a whole lot more. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. One of those things you just don't want to experience if you can absolutely help it. So it w- those things are designed to light a cigarette. Right. And they will accommodate a small amount of draw, but they're not going to accommodate four or five accessories plugged in at the same time. Hey, one last quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. And that's why Justin Bieber should never, I repeat, never be cloned. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my six-year-old car needs about $2,500 worth of work, a new AC, and tires. You think I should do it or invest in a new car? So how much you paid for it six years ago? $40,000. Well, now it's valued at about $10,000, so it costs you $30,000 to drive it the last six years. That's $5,000 a year. Well, let's say you keep the car and spend about $2,500 on repairs every couple of years, which is about $1,200 a year. Way less than a new car, huh? Whoa, sounds like I need to keep my old car. Then bring it to Agco Automotive for regular maintenance, and it will last you even longer. Now that sounds like a good investment. Hey, Al, you got any stock market tips? Oh, for that, you got to tune to my other show, Al's Financial Hour. Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alves, and we're missing the Brian Terry. Hey, for tools, we try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. We've got a few minutes left. Try to get you an answer. And we've got Wallace online. Good morning, Wallace. Good morning, Lewis. Got a couple tires from you the other day, okay. and I was looking on your website mm-hmm. about tire pressure. Yes. And it explained the difference between a tire that begins with the P, as in Paul, Correct. is a passenger car tire. And That's I right. noticed on my RAV4, it doesn't have the P. Do we still go with the same yes, um, Some idea, of them, 10% under the maximum inflation? Yes, sir. They do not put that on every tire now. It's called the P-metric system, but if it doesn't have LT, then it's not going to okay. be a light truck tire. Most of them have a P, but some of them don't. They I've just, seen them both ways. Yeah. They'll say P205, da 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 but some of them will just say 205. But if it doesn't have the LT, then it's going to be okay. a passenger car type tire. Right. It's just it's called the P metric system, and P I think originally meant passenger, but I'm not certain about that. But it's just a tire rating system, but that just connotes it's a passenger car tire, not a truck tire. Truck tires are going to be rated, and they'll have like a C rating or D rating or E rating, which is their ply rating, and they'll have either six ply, eight ply, ten ply, whatever. 
passenger car tires are generally going to have like two ply sidewalls maybe four ply treads now, and so that would apply to them a lot of your half ton trucks do not actually take an lt tire right your half ton truck is considered a passenger vehicle so it takes a passenger car tire right 2500 and up usually start denoting the lt lt designation right and generally like i said it'll be followed with a c d e or rating like that when it is going to be an lt because it's going to be more than a regular two-ply sidewall four-ply tread all right and i had another question y'all were talking about you know torquing the you know oil filters yes, and all yes, that mm-hmm. and i kind of run into a problem there but a good torque wrench what is the best range for a torque wrench for the do-it-yourself for at home well, would you say when you kind of see the different torques y'all prob- use? You're probably going to need something that goes down to the lower end, and you're probably not going to find too many of them that go below 15 foot pounds. So somewhere around 15 to 20 on the low end, and up to maybe 150 on the high end is going to cover virtually everything you would normally run across. If you had something like a drive axle nut, some of those might go as much as 200 foot pounds, but that's going to be real there's, rare. There's actually yeah. one on a Ford truck that goes 294. Right. I remember it right offhand. We we do it all the time. Right. And we use a three quarter drive torque right. wrench for that because a half inch drive torque wrench would really be too small. I've actually got two torque wrenches that I keep in my toolbox an inch pound torque wrench and a foot pound torque wrench. The inch pound right. is a three eighths drive and the foot pound is a half inch drive. Right. Two right. different applications for two different right. uh, items. And in the shop we've got a three quarter inch right. drive which goes up to about I think six hundred foot pounds. Right. And that's so expensive that we don't expect each tech to have one. We've got one for the entire shop and the shop owns it. Mm-hmm. A torque wrench of that size might be a thousand dollars for a good one. They can be very, very expensive. And to answer your question, probably something in the fifteen to twenty on the low end the lower the better, but I don't think you can find too much lower than that. And then up to around 150 on the high end, which I think most of them will cover that range. Right, right. Okay. Fine. I'm just curious because just like the fella you're talking about, the mm-hmm. canister. Right. And like I've got that Toyota and it's got that little metal to right. expose being able to drain it. Mm-hmm. Well, now that thing I cannot get off anymore and I'm doing it myself. Mm-hmm. And so I just have to loosen it up and let the let it run down my arm a little bit yeah, that's the way we do it in the that's shop. the way we yeah. do it it's, it's convenient for us because we've got it up on a band lift so we're yeah, standing up on, on my it. back that's creeper, correct so, you know, that was a nice to... little feature but that didn't take any over torquing at all and i'm not sure if you take it back to the dealer that they actually talk those every time we do at the shop just because that's kind of our mantra to do that kind of stuff yeah but a lot of those guys are on commission in the dealerships and all change places and they're ripping and rushing they don't want to stop and go get a torque wrench so they just tighten it down hand tight as yeah. they say it yeah. which could range you know, a considerable oh, amount particularly fast if, amount that, range. if that thread is got oil on it now it's lubricated so mm-hmm. it actually takes a lot less than a specified dry torque because you are putting it tighter talked about this on the show and i've got an article on my website about torque is not actual right. tightness it's resistance to turn if the threads are lubricated then you are over torquing when you go to the torque spec so if it's a dry spec if you got a wet spec then that's fine but you got to really, really watch. I think what happens a lot of times, those threads are wet with oil, and people are talking them to the dry spec, which is vastly over-tightening it. Yeah, I, I was looking at that article, and I realized I needed to go back to school and reread it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that got into some. But I, one thing I had found is when I could get that off and mm-hmm. I used that little drain right. tool they had, mm-hmm. I got a little rubber cork put in there so i could get it in place then pull the cork out mm-hmm. otherwise you're working and you're getting in place and here comes the oil that's you're right, down right. Your arm again anyway yep. so, right you know. that's right so yep well thank you lewis all right man thanks Will. all right good yep. have a good weekend mm, bye-bye 
All right. And another trick to doing those, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, is take a soda bottle, like say a two-liter or three-liter soda bottle, and just cut it off and leave it maybe five inches deep or something like that. You can actually take that soda bottle and use it sort of like a glove. Just slip it over the filter, uh-huh. squeeze it in until it contacts the filter, turn the filter using the soda bottle, and as all starts to come out, just release it, and then it becomes a catch basin for you. Gotcha. That will catch that hot oil, and it won't run down on your arm. A lot of times, those filters are way on way too tight to do that with, right. but if you will loosen the filter up a little bit, a little bit, so you can turn it with that cup, that is a great idea. Right. Just... And like I said, an old two or three liter soda bottle works real fine. Just cut it off, take the bottom of it, and just slip it over there, squeeze it down, and that works to do it. And you know something else we've been doing too is I've got a punch, a center punch there at the shop, mm-hmm. and right. I'll drive a hole in the right in the filter housing itself on a under canister catch fan, yeah, regular, yeah, canister, regular filter. canister filter. Mm-hmm. And the oil will drain out of it while I'm draining the oil out of the oil pan. And by the time you get to the filter, all the oil's out of it. That's right. So it doesn't make a mess. There you go. Good tip. There you go. That's the way that works. <laughs> I see we're just about out of time. We want to start backing on out of here. Tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to your favorite rebroadcast service and give us a written rating if possible. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Move us up in the rating so that more folks can listen. And that's what it's all about. A preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.